Hey folks, Brian here with a quick mea culpa before the episode starts. Uh, I went into some very serious praise for Christopher Lee, as is absolutely deserved, but I got a few of my facts mixed up. Um, he was only in one Bond movie. His metal album wasn't nominated for a Grammy. I was just enthused by Christopher Lee, a man so cool that my dad in his 60s joined the Christopher Lee fan club. So I just wanted to put out that preface before we start the episode. Um, enjoy our look back at Attack of the Clones. Bye. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Welcome back, Rebels and Imperials, to Force Ghost Coast to Coast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Matt and Liz. Uh, this is the second uh, edition of... Uh, I-, I gave this a clever name on Multiversity, and now I'm already forgetting what it is, so I'm looking it up before I do it. Uh, it was something like Prequel Palooza. Um, <laughs> the Welcome to Hell Tour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Prequel Palooza, I was right. Uh, so this is Prequel Palooza Round 2, Attack of the Clones. So, uh, first question I want to ask is, if, if these were the only two Star Wars movies that existed, Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, how would you rank them? Which is better? Which is the better of the two films? All right, Matt, take it away. Um, <laughs> I, the, the, first, the first one's definitely better. I agree. As, as a film, not visually, um, but as a film, it's, it's better. I I went into this one thinking this one was going to be better, and I was wrong. The first one was better. Yeah, yeah. I, it's uh, you know, you know how like uh, George W. Bush doesn't look so bad now because of Trump. <laughs> 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 you know, it's similar to that. You know, you'll forgive a war criminal depending on what comes after him. So uh, <laughs> this is uh, in many ways, this is the best thing that ever happened to the Phantom Menace. So, Matt, you had said last time that you actually saw this before you saw The Phantom Menace. That's correct. And yeah. how, how old were you when you first saw this, approximately? I had to be 16, 15, 16, I guess. It was, what, 02, I guess? Yeah. All right. So what, what, was the, uh, what was your contemporaneous review of it? At the time, did you enjoy it? No. No. <laughs> um, Good. I didn't. I didn't. Again, I, I, I was a big fan of the original films, and these just felt like they paled in comparison. And the more I watch them, the more that becomes evident. Yeah. Liz, what were your first impressions of this film when you saw it initially? I, again, I, I feel like as with the first one, I don't remember exactly, but I don't remember going to see this a second time or watching it frequently on DVD or perhaps the dreaded VHS, if that was a thing at the time. Maybe it was DVD. Um, I, you know, I, I think I probably was excited there was another Star Wars movie, but it wasn't something I was rewatching over and over again. I, I can tell you it actually was DVD because... For some reason, we owned this DVD, so this is the one I've probably seen the most of the original films, just because we uh, had it in the house. Of the originals mm-hmm. or the prequels? Of the prequels, okay. yeah. 
Not of the original, because we had the we had the multiple different box sets, the pre-edits, post-edits. Um, so those I've watched the most. But yeah, this is the one of the prequels that I've seen the most, and I, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> the access to that DVD. Yeah, I yeah. can blame that. That this is before streaming. Some yeah, of our exactly. Listeners may not yep. remember that there's a point before you could just pull up any movie via the internet. Yes. Uh, so, uh, I, as I established last time, I got a job in a movie theater to see episode one. Uh, then I had gone off to college and came back from college and then got my job back. So I was, I was back working with movie theater for episode two. So I don't know if I saw it early or if I saw it when I, I, I honestly don't remember the viewing experience except for groaning so hard. My eyes like rolled back into my head and. <laughs> did a journey around my circulatory system and then came back into my head uh, when Yoda started flipping around. I hated that so much. Um, I remember just thinking some stuff was really dumb and then being like, I'm good. I don't ever need to see that movie again. And uh, here I am having seen it multiple times, so I'm a failure yeah. to myself. But <laughs> it, it was a... Uh, and yeah, uh, not not great. Um, so now, Brian, I, is... Yeah. Sorry, is... You have a better memory than we do. Is this the film where the real merchandising stepped up, or is that not until Revenge of the Sith? I think this was the one. Well, like, everything became Star Wars branded. Yes. Every potato chip, soda, <laughs> everything had Star Wars all over it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this Which was... I don't think helped anything. No, it didn't. Uh, this was also one of the most pre-hyped movies I can recall. So, like, for instance, you know, working at the movie theater over Christmas break, I remember the movie came out in May or maybe even June. I remember there was already, like, a Subway-style poster. Like, you know those big ads you see in the Subway? Like, that size mm -hmm. for this with Anakin at one side and Padme at the other. And it said something like, a Jedi should not know fear nor hatred nor love. And that was up for, like, six months before the movie came out. And I remember, like, you know, um, I remember the merchandising getting started a lot earlier and also sticking around the entire summer. I remember very distinctly, like, in August. So the movie was out already a few months. Maybe it was July. But I think it was August. Seeing a new round of TV commercials with the phrase Yoda Man. In uh, it. Uh. And just thinking that was the stupidest shit I'd ever heard in my life. And I predicted incorrectly. I, I said to my friends in college that based on the Yoda man um, phrase, that the Revenge of the Sith, which I didn't know the name of it at the time, that that movie's catchphrase would be, uh, Anakin was good, but Vader is greater. But it didn't happen. But I, I was I was fully convinced that, that was going to be it because of just how Aww. terrible the uh, the marketing was for Attack of the Clones. But yeah, Matt, you're right. There, there were, a, like, everything was branded Star Wars. And it was... It wasn't even like I'm not saying this is always good, but sometimes you'll see like a cereal or a soda will rebrand itself temporarily. So like, you know, I, I'm making this up, but like Captain Crunch will become Captain Jack Sparrow for the for a few months, right? It'll, it'll like yeah. though it wasn't even that kind of marketing. It was just lazy stamp the Star Wars logo onto anything that will take a logo. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then it, it became, was everywhere. It, yeah, and it became this very weird. I guess it was pre-internet, pre we didn't have like the TV shows or anything like this. Um, 
but it also became the mechanism that they started using to introduce characters, which became very weird. Because I was, we'll talk about this in Revenge of the Sith, but like General Grievous was introduced on the side of Pepsi cans. Yep. <laughs> it started this Star Wars, like, unstoppable ad train that, in a lot of ways, superseded even the films. Well, Mainly because I mean, the films suck and Pepsi is, I guess, better. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was... The, I, I think that this is also... In a lot of ways, this is where the die was cast for Star Wars for a generation. I think everybody, having seen The Phantom Menace... Everybody could agree what the problems with the film were, and everybody thought that there were logical solutions to those problems. And then when this when when this film came out and you saw that not only did they not address those problems, they doubled down on some of them, I think it gave people of our general age group a chance to throw our hands up and say, you know what, I'm good. I'm good with Star Wars for a while. I, I don't mm -hmm. need this. And I think it also prevented it prevented any crossover appeal. Like, so the example I'll use is somebody that the three of us know, but our listeners don't, our friend Vinny. Okay? Vinny had never seen a Star Wars movie before uh, The Force Awakens, but he saw trailers for it, and he heard you know us talk about it, and so he saw it, and then he went back and watched all of them and loves those movies now. Um, there, there was ability, when a new good Star Wars movie comes out, there's real crossover appeal to get people... To, to watch them. I think this movie totally killed any crossover appeal for non-children to watch these movies. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that, yeah. And, yeah, I would too. And, and I think that that also, in a way, hurt things like The Clone Wars, the TV show, because I think the people's most recent Star Wars taste was an unpleasant one. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that show did not gain a lot of new viewers that weren't kids because they all sort of knew what Star Wars's deal was at the time. Hmm. Um, yeah. And I hate that we have to think about movies in that way because I wish the movies could just be taken as artistic things, but Star Wars is is a behemoth. Of, it's it's not really one person's artistic vision at all. It is it is a multi-billion dollar enterprise. So, yes. so, so, so let's start with Anakin here. You know, Anakin is is really not featured all that much in the Phantom Menace. When all said and done, he's much more of the of the focus here. And Hayden Christensen has been really, really raked over the coals for his performance as Anakin here. Um, I want to start by saying that this is a pro Hayden Christensen podcast, at least from my end. Again, I, I think that yeah. all of the problems that happen with, with Hayden Christensen are because of the script and the direction and have nothing to do with his abilities as an actor. Um, but Liz, I agree. Well, why, don't yeah. we, well, why don't we start with you? What did you think of Anakin in this movie? Anakin is just the world's worst teenager in this movie. I, 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 I really, with rewatching these, I was hoping I would like Anakin more. Something that was surprising for me when I started watching The Clone Wars was that I liked Anakin more, and I was, guess, hoping that would transfer to this. But now I remember why I hated Anakin. Um, yeah, and I, it's just he's just so unlikable. And after rewatching it and talking about the movie with both of you, a lot of it stems from his relationship with Padme. 
he's just real creepy with her and he's real insistent and he won't take no for an answer. Um, I, he's just very unlikable. And like, I think Brian said, he's just all drama. The exact phrase was, I said, he's a messy bitch who loves drama. That is, that is what you said. He's a messy bitch that loves drama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it's just, I don't know. I, I think, and I didn't focus on maybe the creepiness as much the first, I, I maybe even like when I first saw the movie in, when was it, 2002, or in subsequent viewings, because I just knew they would get together. They had to. Um, so I sort of missed those red flags. And there's um, a lot of them. Yeah, <laughs> there are a lot of them. And I mean, there's just really zero chemistry between Hayden Christensen and why can't I think of her name now? Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman, who is a wonderful actress. Yes. Yeah. Matt, what did you think of Anakin? I think I agree. He, he just he's creepy. And watching it again with a more careful eye, you realize how little interest padme has in him which makes it even creepier um the when i when i first watched it i didn't realize that they hadn't seen each other for a decade that he is saying all of these things to her when he was a little kid meeting her um it's really just unsettling when you watch it um and really makes it makes his jump to being a Sith, I think, maybe a little clearer because he already <laughs> has some of these tendencies of like, but and the way the movies play it off is like, oh, no, it was his love for Padme that drove him. It's like, no, he's a creep. He'll wipe out a village without a, another thought. He will stalk a woman till he wears down her wherewithal. Um, like, it just... He's got so many things that, especially now in our current culture, that pushes back at a lot of this um, type of like alpha behavior. Um, he he just is a messy, red flags everywhere type of person, and whines and moans the whole film about Obi Wan, and for reasons that are unclear. Um, Obi-Wan seems to be pretty decent to him. He yeah, does. I yeah. know. It's like it's, it's just like he's his dad and he's complaining about his parents. Yeah. I don't know. Ugh. Yeah, Matt, the one thing you said there, which I, I think is is worth exploring a little bit, is unfortunately it took us as a society a very long time to to not accept some of the sort of alpha male bullshit that is so mm -hmm. present everywhere, but especially present, you know, in this in this film particularly, since we're talking about this film. Um, but I think when you do take that into consideration, there's almost nothing likable about Anakin. There's a lot that's sad about Anakin, and I think that as we were watching, we were all talking about how sad certain parts of his story are. But yeah. there's a big difference between being sad and being uh, likable. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's a single thing here. Like, so when we meet Obi-Wan in The Phantom Menace, he's approximately the age that Anakin is here. He's probably a little bit older, but approximately the age. And, like, within the first five minutes, he kind of makes a joke to Qui-Gon. We see that he's a very capable Jedi. We, um, 
you know, he 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 does have his dick moments. You know, he calls lesser life forms or whatever. Um, but but overall, you're you know why you're supposed to be rooting for Obi Wan, even if you hadn't seen episodes four, five, and six, where you know why there's a reason to root for Obi Wan. Yeah, and I feel like the only reason to root for Anakin in this film is because you know eventually he throws Palpatine down a shaft into mm-hmm. like a, a space reactor. That's the only reason you're rooting for him here, because nothing on screen gives you any reason to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. It's it's a shame, because I do think that there's a lot... We, we talked last time about some of the weird decisions that Lucas made, like, making, like starting him off as such a young character. I think if you had introduced Hayden Christensen as, uh, as Anakin in episode one, you could have done a little bit more with him. And that's mm-hmm. clearly not done here. I think if you spent some time, just even just gave him and Obi-Wan one scene of being like super badass Jedis before you have to hear him talk, <laughs> 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 or, you know, like that, that would have gone a, a long way. Um, there's just so many decisions that were made that just seem incredibly foolish, incredibly yeah. foolish. Yeah, and it's funny because it's it's a different decision making than we criticize the sequel um, trilogy for, where their decisions seem to be at random. Right, these decisions are just almost seem to be purposefully wrong. (laughs) Like there's a convention of what should be done, and then they just go the opposite direction. Yeah, I, I think that the, maybe the most extreme example outside of Anakin is the way that Lucas has decided to fuck with what we think of as the characters we know and love. You know, I, I've I've harped on this a million times, but both R two D two being able to fly and Yoda doing flippy shit with a lightsaber, <laughs> both just seem to me to be so against who those characters. At this point, we have five movies worth of those characters. Sorry, four movies worth of those characters that build up to this, and it seems like all those decisions, those, those, those decisions, go against a lot of what we've been told about those characters. And I know those are minor things, but like what makes Yoda so incredible in Empire when he lifts the X-wing out of the swamp is that his physical appearance gives no indication for how powerful he is. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why they thought making him flip around would would make him seem cooler than he already is. It's just <laughs> it's just dumb. And R two like in Return of the Jedi, R two falls into the sand and has to be picked up by um by Lando on that like uh, speeder thing. Like if he could fly, wouldn't he have just started to fly at that moment? There's a million moments in the movies where where R 2s flight would have been very useful. Yes. Yeah. I I do remember in the theater when. I went to go see this movie. Everyone went nuts when Yoda was flying around, but it seems like something that maybe played well for a short period of time, but didn't age well. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. Um, all right, so we talked about Anakin. Let's talk about Obi-Wan for a second here. I think that Obi-Wan's, any misgivings we had about him as a character in The Phantom Menace are more or less erased here. I think Obi-Wan does all the good Jedi stuff here. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Was there anything that stood out to you guys about about that? 
I just feel very comfortable with Obi-Wan here. I feel like he has a handle on everything. He knows what he's doing. Um, he, he's grown into being a Jedi here mm-hmm. in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also the movie where I feel like he really looks like Jesus. Yeah, he re- um, wow. yeah. <laughs> or the as I hair said, is I, wild. A, a keyboard player in the Doobie Brothers. This is definitely Yacht Rock Obi-Wan era here. <laughs> I, uh, I can just picture him in like a silk shirt with some sunglasses on, rocking a tambourine, yeah. you know. That's, mm-hmm. that's, yeah, and I don't know if it's where Ewan McGregor starts feeling more comfortable, because I feel like he starts almost just, I don't know, I, I feel like there's more Ewan McGregor almost behind it as well mm-hmm. at certain parts. Um, but I, yeah, it seems like he almost feels a little more comfortable in the role too, which yeah. I, it seems like some of the other actors never really feel, um, which is maybe why some of these roles never really come off well, like Anakin. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Matt, what'd you think of Obi-Wan in this? No, I liked him. The I, I the nail on head. He, he's funny in a way that is endearing. He seems to have a good head in his shoulders. He seems to be one of the few with a real kind of like direct moral compass. Mm -hmm. Um, The banter between him and Anakin is just unbearable. Uh, Especially in that first, uh, the first scene on Coruscant when they're in the speeder. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. So that's terrible. Um, But he really... like you put it a better way than I'm gonna, but he really does feel like Obi Wan. He mm-hmm. has that kind of just swagger and kind of gentleness, but also a humbleness. Because if you were to ca- compare like apples to apples, he may be and probably is actually the strongest Jedi. Um, we see him defeat Anakin, who's supposedly stronger. We see him survive a lot of things that he shouldn't be able to, but nothing really there's nothing boastful about him um which is nice because that kind of encapsulates obi-wan yeah yeah uh we were talking we again watched this movie via the 27 app which was great because there's a chat function so we're making jokes matt was cracking me up today with a couple of his jokes um <laughs> i believe one was you're talking about uh uh, Shmi Skywalker's husband. I owned you. I loved you. I lost you to sand people. Alive. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I almost want that on my tombstone. It will make no sense except for two people, but uh, it'll be good. So, uh, but you know, like there's a. We were talking in the chat. There's a scene where Obi Wan goes to Yoda because he's trying to find the planet Kamino, and it's not in the Jedi archives. And Yoda is training younglings. And Yoda in this scene has more heart and and spunk to him than he has in any of the other prequels. Uh, put to, you know, basically aside from The Empire Strikes Back, and then in um, I would say in The Last Jedi, he has that great scene with Luke. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's, it's one of the best Yoda scenes. He's a good teacher. He's funny. Yoda lets the younglings figure out the problem. And he does so in a way that is really clever, and and Obi Wan is trusting of Yoda, and Obi Wan is not saying like, "Why are you bringing the young ones and in, younglings into this? This is a, an important matter." Like everyone just handles themselves in this great Jedi way. It's the I think it's the single best scene of the Jedi as an order. It shows how the Jedi should operate. Yes, mm. it's a real. It's really good. It's, it's a really yeah. good scene. Um, mm-hmm. 
Any other Obi-Wan thoughts? No. It's weird. We talked about the Obi the Jedi fashion choices, but it mm-hmm. is just so weird that everyone is just wearing the same exact thing, only slightly monochromatic difference. Yep. Except for Anakin, who's just wearing black because you got to foreshadow his exactly. turn to evil. Mm. And, you know, Ayla Sakura, who wears virtually nothing. <laughs> Other than that, everyone is just wearing the same exact outfit. And it's just weirdly jarring visually. Well, yeah. Uh, we talked about this last time how, like, Obi Wan dressed that way on Tatooine because that's how desert people dress. And then they made the decision at some point, this is, this is how everyone dresses. And it's, it's a bad decision. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But so, okay. So we talked about Anakin, we talked about Obi-Wan. Let's talk about um, Padme, and then I want to shift gears a bit. So Padme in this movie is obviously more self-assured, older, more responsible than she was in uh, episode one. Although there is some, there is some very bad writing surrounding Padme. Matt, you said something in our chat about Padme being a very sad character, and I want you to sort of dig into that. I really liked what you said there. Yeah, well, because Padme has been, and we got this from the book and from the first movie, she's somebody who's been so closed off to the world. She's really only ever interacted with her handmaidens in the past, at this point, I guess, 18 years, maybe? No, ten years. We hear a little um, bit about like she, she, bit. she talks about going to like uh, training at the uh, at the uh, what is it like the imperial the, not the imperial um, the um like the, like the junior the junior Congress. center yeah ex- exactly yeah. and so that's pretty much the only series of there's only only memories we get of hers that are anything other than just being queen or being. Queen. Yeah, so yeah, I, she I en- she entered into political life really young, and as we read in the book, that meant she's been groomed for a long time to be this very stoic, very closed off, um, and guarded person. And when she's put in this situation with somebody who really sees her for her, and she's so desperate to connect, even though she at first is very kind of understandably grossed out by him, I think is a generous way to put it. Um, But really she eventually just kind of falls for this person. Who's the only person she's really been able to interact, interact with and connect with. And it's just so sad to see her willing to overlook some of these things that normally would not be, you know, we, Liz was talking about the idea, like she, cradles him after he slaughters men, women, and children. She allows herself to continue to be close to him, even though she is very much kind of creeped out and feels unsafe for this person that's supposed to be her protector. But, again, because she's so closed off to everyone, this is the first real connection she's ever had and really just falls headlong into it. And it's sad because we know where it ends up for her and for him. That's well said. Well said. Mm-hmm. Liz, what do you think about Padme? Uh, you know, I, I feel like Matt said everything very well. Um, I, you know, it's tough for me to reconcile in a lot of ways. And I think Matt did a good job of explaining maybe things I was struggling with. And that Padme is a, you know, she's a strong character. She 
fights for things she believes in. She's a senator. Um, She's a strong person. And then, you know, the fact that she allows, I don't know if allows is the right word, um, but, you know, she's almost worn down by Anakin. She lets him in, even though she does try to fight his advances in some way, even though she does seem to think they shouldn't get together. You know, the way he wears her down is almost toxic in some sense. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, she does let it happen. Um, And I think the way Matt explains it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. No, I mean, it is a very toxic relationship. I think that's a really good word to put to it, Liz. Yeah, absolutely. I I would also say that one of the things that really stands out about the writing of Padme is that George Lucas has no idea how to write female characters, um, <laughs> uh, but also no idea how, no idea how to follow up on his own ideas. We were talking about this in the chat, how Padme has these decoy handmaidens, one of which we see killed in the beginning of the film. Uh, Corday, I believe. I could be wrong about that. But um, And then when she decides to go back to Naboo to be in hiding, he doesn't just say to, she doesn't just say to one of the headmaidens, okay, you have to pretend to be me for a while. She puts fucking Jar Jar <laughs> in the senatorial seat. It, why have the handmaidens if you're not going to use them? This is the exact <laughs> instance where you should be using a handmaiden. Inexplicable. I, yeah. I, I guess they're trying to get Jar Jar out of the way and out of the movie. I don't know. It's bad. It's real yeah. bad. Um. All right, let's do this. Let's take a break, and then I want to talk about sort of the plot more since we kind of handled the big three characters in the movie. So we'll be back right after this. Today's episode of Force Ghost Coast to Coast is brought to you by Comixology. Immerse yourself in over 20,000 digital comic books, graphic novels, and manga titles from over 125 publishers with Comixology. Our first-in-class exclusive guide to view technology provides an unparalleled immersive and cinematic reading experience for readers. Purchase a la carte titles or start a monthly unlimited account to save 15% on select publishers. Still not sold? Try an unlimited subscription free for 30 days and see why thousands of readers trust Comixology for both classic and new releases from DC, Image, Marvel, and more. Okay, so let's, let's dig into some of the plot here. So where we last left things was at the end of episode one, we know that there is a Sith out there somewhere, either the master or apprentice of, of uh, Darth Maul. We know that Padme is, you know, still queen of, of uh, Naboo. We know that Anakin is going to train, he's going to be trained rather by Obi-Wan and the Jedi council is not too pleased about that, but letting it happen. When this movie picks up, it's approximately 10 years later. I believe it's nine years by canon, but something like that. And we see that, you know, Padme is now senator, no no longer queen, which again in the book Queen's Shadow is all explained. Um, We see that Jar Jar is part of her, like, royal entourage. We see that Anakin is not quite a Jedi yet. He He is still a Padawan, but he is far exceeding what is expected of him in terms of abilities. We see that Obi-Wan is uh, not quite on the Jedi Council yet, I don't believe. is he? We don't see him on the Council, do we? Mm-mm. No, so he, but he is certainly moving up in the world of the Jedi as well. Um, 
we see everything's kind of still status quo. Palpatine is still the Chancellor, but he is not this sort of wartime, all-powerful Chancellor we see in this film. Um, that That's where things begin. And then, honestly, there isn't that much plot to this movie. There, You know, there's an assassination attempt made on Padme, and so Anakin takes her to Naboo to keep her safe. At the same time, Obi-Wan is investigating the, this, um, this poison dart that was used to kill the person who actually made the attempt on Padme's life. So he's trying to trace who this is coming from, which brings him to a planet called Kamino. On Kamino, he finds out that there has been a, a, a clone army created for the Republic uh, by, by this factory, essentially, uh, we meet Jango Fett, who is the the original that is cloned for everyone. Um, we then see Anakin. He keeps dreaming about his mother. He goes to Tatooine, where he uh, rescues her just moments before her death in a truly tragic scene. And we'll come back to that scene for sure in a minute. Uh, and then everybody winds up on uh, Geonosis, where Anakin. I'm sorry, where excuse me, Obi Wan followed Jango Fett. We have a big battle there. Count Dooku, a former Jedi who is now a new Sith apprentice, fights Yoda and Anakin and Obi-Wan and manages to escape. And that's kind of the whole movie. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of scenes of... On one hand, I, I, how can I say this? I like movies where nothing happens. I like movies where there's a lot of sequences of just kind of getting to know the characters. I think that's that I, I happen to enjoy those type of movies and this movie has a fair amount of that but it's all terrible <laughs> it, 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 it's yeah. all it's all Padme and Anakin having no chemistry together whatsoever <laughs> um, yeah but the film is weird because it gives birth to so much it gives birth to the Clone Wars it gives birth to the book Catalyst which we read mm -hmm. um, because those are the people that build the Death Star it gives rise in weird rays to everything that comes after it, but is just such an awful mess of a film that it almost doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Like every, every, cause everything just ends up blurring into this crap thing where the, what you remember is some weird knockoff of the reboot diner um, <laughs> that serves Java juice. Yep. Like, <laughs> <sighs> Yeah. It's it's bad. We're going to keep saying it's bad, uh, but that's just <laughs> the, the theme of this episode. So there are a few things I did want to discuss here. I want to discuss that diner sequence. Um, so George Lucas, his his first big film was uh, American Graffiti. I know he made THX 1138 before that. People, before anyone emails me, I know he made a film before that. His first hit was American Graffiti, which is a, a movie that is extraordinarily nostalgic for something that happened, I believe it's 11 years before it was made. So that, that uh, it takes place in 1962, I believe it was made in 73. So like, imagine for a second if we went to a movie set in 2009 that was like, remember how great 2009 was? Like, it, it, would, it would be very weird. Um, yeah, but, but that's what George Lucas did with American Graffiti, and uh, this diner is American Graffiti in space, essentially. Um, there's like a brassy robot. Bot who's who's basically dot matrix from yeah. uh, Spaceballs uh, <laughs> yeah. in the diner. There's this character Dex 
who Obi-Wan is straight up flirting with the entire scene. Like, yeah. they, 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 are, they are having a deep connection during this conversation. Uh, again, he's drinking something called Jawa juice, which I have, I have opined on the show before, either means that it is juice that is made from a dead Jawa or sold by Jawas like Girl Scout cookies, right? So yeah. either one kind of disturbs me. I'm Hopefully sure it's, it's ma- maybe it's made from the egg. Maybe, maybe there we Perhaps. go. <laughs> uh, I mean, like one of the things that I I thought of during the scene is that in all Star Wars novels, the word that is used more than maybe every other word but the Force is the word calf, which is what they call coffee <laughs> in Star Wars novels. Um, it's constantly mentioned, and they could have said cup of calf, and he could have said sure. What is that? Jawa juice? Uh, Fuck you, George Lucas. (laughs) Fuck you. Um, But that scene to me is like so emblematic of of the problems in this. I had said in our chat that it's Lucas's ultimate kink, 50s nostalgia and and CGI. But I, I just feel like there's no reason for that scene to exist in any way. Um. Uh, nope. the, the little bit of information that it leads to about Camino could have been delivered in, in a thousand other ways. It's it's one of those scenes that feels like it's showing off the CGI, but it it adds nothing to the plot and it takes away from no. the tone of the film. It, this is a relatively... It was clearly a Mandalorian bounty hunter. Yes. <laughs> clearly a Mandalorian bounty hunter. Yes. It, as you put it, you've banged the Queen of Mandalore. You don't know what Mandalorian armor looks like. <laughs> so... Um, and, you know, yeah, it's just. It, but to me, like this film is relatively dark. There isn't a lot of of hope in this film, and even the things that are hopeful are tinged with sadness. Except mm-hmm. for that scene. That scene is just like a weird comic <laughs> interlude that it sticks out with a sore thumb. There's there's no reason for that scene to happen. Yeah. Um, just, yeah even just the way Obi Wan says hello, it's just yeah. Everything about it is so bizarre. It's really bad. It's really really yeah. bad. How do they know each other? How does Jedi don't know people? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> it's very true. Uh, I would love to see a young Obi Wan and Dex adventures series of novels. <laughs> where... Oh man, it, it'll be at least a comic book. Don't worry. Yes, eventually everything in Star Wars will be a comic or novel. So yeah. Um, so I want to talk about that scene. I want to talk about the sort of courtship of of Padme by Obi-Wan. I know we touched on this before briefly, but it, it really can't be said enough times how much he is just trying to force himself on her mm-hmm. over and over again. And I, I can't understand why, in Lucas's mind, this is the way to tell this love story. I, I think there's something very compelling about... I mean, like, going back to, like, Heloise and Abelard, there, there's there's a long history of stories of lovers who can't be together because of the vows they've taken. I feel like there's plenty in their relationship which would lead you to, to see the tragedy in their pairing without being so heavy-handed about it and also being so rapey about it. Like, it, he, it, it's, it's, it's really, really uncomfortable and bad, right? Yeah, it, it is. is. It is. Yes. Yeah, there are other ways to do it, and this is not the way. This is not the way. <laughs> yes. Excellent yeah, it, reference. There's Thanks. no there's no reason to have done it like this. At least make her into him. What? Right. Yeah. 
like it's clear that she's desperate for at least physical um intimacy t- intimacy which you could see is clearly written by a man um but because every woman just needs to be touched in the right way um in George Lucas's mind I guess <laughs> but like that's it because again she flat out refuses him a number of times but strongly uh, too yeah there's no pussy yeah. putting around here she she is she says no a bunch of times. The one, the first scene where they kiss, there's a really first of all, um, John Williams wrote a really nice romantic theme for them, for this film, and it's it's really well done. Where this theme begins as they're kissing, and then she breaks off the kiss, and the theme instantly shifts. Like, mm-hmm. It's a real, it's it's one of the better scored moments of the film, and it's it's a really powerful theme. But never again do we really get it working that way we also kept pointing out how they seem to only be talking about sex with each other like every scene (laughs) we see they're talking about past like he's 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 grilling padme about past boyfriends and all this don't you talk about something else the weather on naboo seems very nice talk about that (laughs) yeah i don't know man it's weird it's weird yeah it's bad and then we get one of the more heartbreaking sequences in in the entire series, which is Anakin returning to Tatooine to find his mom. Um, you know, we see him interact with a now fedoraed Watto, and and Watto <laughs> says like, "Oh no, I, I I sold her." It's you know, sorry, sorry, dude. Um, and so we we business don't. Business is business. Yes, he actually says that he's like you know yep. it's it's just business. I sell your mom, you sell mine. You know it's what happens, man. Um, so you know, so then we we meet the Lars family, uh, Owen and Baru. Owen who introduces Baru as his girlfriend, which again just makes me laugh. The fact that the word girlfriend is is still what they're saying in a galaxy far far away a long time ago. Yeah. Um, not that this is, I mean, it would be creepier if we said this is my lover, Baru, but like <laughs> my partner, my betrothed, uh, something, you know, just, my girlfriend, it's my GF. Because it couldn't be his wife yet, because then you wouldn't have the progression of story into uh, A New Hope. Yes, because of course you need to see the character growth going from totally benign <laughs> character to sort of shithead. Yeah. <laughs> only, <laughs> only marriage can bring about that change in a person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. we meet... The... Raising the granddaughter of the slave that his dad bought from a flying Jew. Like... <laughs> Grandson. Grandson. <laughs> grandson, grandson, yeah. Yes. Organa uh, gets the uh, Yeah, daughter. exactly, gets the daughter, yeah. Uh, Bail Organa, who was in this movie for 10 seconds, mm-hmm. maybe maybe 30 seconds total. Tour de, tour de force. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jimmy Smith was great in it. Um, <laughs> again, a totally wasted character in, in Star Wars universe. Um, so we we see Anakin meet uh, his stepdad, who, he's, who bought Shmi... And then freed her, and then married her, and then um, so she is. She was. She's been lost to sand people for a month, and he, he pretty much says like she's dead, dude. Have some blue milk, and and Anakin <laughs> says, "No, I'm gonna go look for her." And he finds her. He finds her alive, just barely, and then he slaughters an entire village worth of sand people. <sighs> yeah. 
Women and children included. Yes, he, he makes a point to say that to, to Padme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lest you thought I had restraint. <laughs> yeah. Let me yeah. tell you. <laughs> because I want you to really like me, I'm going to give you all the details. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. that's basically the last moment we see of the two of them until Padme confesses her love for Anakin. Uh, she's dying a little bit inside. Yeah, every day since they met. It's really that, creepy. It's yeah, I don't. Wait, is it creepy that that first conversation happens in the same room we watched C three PO take a weird oil bath? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it doesn't help. <laughs> it certainly doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, but no, Star. That scene is. And I'm trying to. Th- I was trying to do my Rolodex of all the sad scenes that might be at least tied for the saddest scene in star Wars. Um, I think Rose's sister um, sacrificing herself for the um, bombing raid Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. really up there. Um, But it just kind of happens and then is done. Like Rose's sister sacrifice. who I don't remember her sister's name, like defines that character she carries that weight moving on for the next two movies for as little as we see her in the following. Mm-hmm. Um, but this just kind of, you see your mom die in your arms. You just slaughter a village of who we now know are actually intelligent human beings. Um, but we're just like, shit, I really screwed up. And she's like, that's okay. We all make mistakes and we just move on. Yeah. It's weird that there's no impact of that. Yeah, it seems like there are a few scenes like that, even like Anakin and Padme scenes. I mean, while there isn't much chemistry, even some of those are cut kind of short. And this one is actually one that could be, you know, more impactful because it is a very sad scene. You only have so much time and you have to put the conveyor belt scene in there. (laughs) Yeah, boy. I left and went to the bathroom during that scene. I'll tell all of our <laughs> listeners that because <laughs> smart move <laughs> didn't need to be there. But yeah, it, it, it's a it's a it's a scene that should have so much gravity, but falls short to the point of almost why, why did you include that? I don't know. I I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't understand so much of this movie, mm-hmm. um, but but yeah. So we're, we're we're talking about you know the the, the people with, with the uh, the scene with the Tuscan Raiders where Anakin kills them, and then we get this whole scene on Geonosis. And Matt, you had pointed out something really good in the in the uh, chat here, which is that the Jedi are supposed to be like the most powerful warriors even though you know they're they say specifically we're not soldiers we're keepers of the peace but mm-hmm. they they have laser swords and they're they're good at using them <laughs> right and so yeah yeah but they are almost totally taken out by slightly upgraded battle droids yep yeah it, it makes no sense yeah how because you're supposed to uh, in the whole clone wars and even in revenge of the sith you're supposed to believe that like the Clone soldiers are head and shoulders above the droids, and it's only because the droids have numbers that, you know, the droids can even survive as long as they're surviving this losing battle. Right. 
But what does it say about the Jedi then? They should be at least better than the clones. But here, they're clearly not. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And and you've talked about this in earlier podcasts. um, This fluctuating power level of of the the Jedi. Jedi. Yeah. Where we see scenes where a Jedi can rip a Star Destroyer out of the sky in some canon things. But then other ones, you know, you just get knocked on the back of the head like your Tintin and just fall over. Like, it doesn't make sense. Yes. Um, this this part of the film... Liz, anything to say before I go on here? No. Okay. Uh, this part of the film introduces Count Dooku into the mix, which continues the Star Wars tradition of introducing good villains and doing nothing with them. But I want to take a minute here and praise the man that is Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee died in 2015. But let me just run through some of his biography here. Okay, so he was um, he comes from Italian royalty. He's actually, he's British, but he has his family has Italian royal blood in it. He was an actor who joined the army during World War II. Was so good at being an army man that he was basically adopted into the most covert British. Um, a battalion there was and spent the years directly after World War II hunting Nazis. He was a Nazi oh, hunter. What? <laughs> Whoa. Yes. Okay. We need him what? back today. He oh, was- man. I, I hope he said some great things before he before he caught them with that voice. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yes. Then he is the he played in he was a horror actor. He played Dracula, he played the mummy, he played Frankenstein's monster. He's the only actor ever to play Holmes Watson and Henry Baskerville from the Sherlock Holmes series. Ooh. He he was in uh, Gremlins 2. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, he he played Fu Manchu a bunch, not Chinese in any way. But, you know, it was a different time. Um he in the 2000s was nominated for a Grammy for the metal album he sang on. What? Um, he was he was actual friends with J.R.R. Tolkien, and Tolkien said the only person he ever wanted to play Gandalf in a movie was Christopher Lee, but Christopher wow. Lee was too old for the part, so he got the role of Saruman, uh, and he was the consultant on set for how to pronounce things because he actually knew Tolkien. So Peter Jackson would say, "Hey, Chris, how do you pronounce this name?" And he, he would say the right name, like. <laughs> this dude is the best. <laughs> Christopher Lee is the best. Yes. And he is given so little to do in these movies. Oh. Yeah. He, he shoots nothing to hunter. show he's bad. You had a Nazi hunter. Use the dude. Come on. Uh, he gets yeah. to ride that speeder for a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um,. So yeah, everybody go, everyone listening to this, spend five minutes tonight on Christopher Lee's Wikipedia page. <laughs> I, I have not even scratched the surface of this guy. <laughs> he spoke, he speaks a million languages. He's awesome. He was awesome. He, um, yeah, he was the best. And he was knighted, oh. Sir Christopher Lee. There we go. Oh, you. Oh, sorry, God. sorry, I forgot to mention, he's also, the, he's also um, in two Bond movies as the same villain. The only Bond villain to appear in two movies, I believe, until recently. Um. Yeah, he's just the best. He's just the best. Sorry, that's amazing. <laughs> Count Dooku wasted. Yeah. Hmm. And again, I think the idea of Count Dooku is an interesting one. You know, he's this mm-hmm. sort of disgruntled Jedi. He sees the Jedi have have fallen away from what they're supposed to be, and he is um he's seduced by the dark side. I think there's a lot of interesting things that could happen there. 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't, but you know. but they don't. Yeah. 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 And it's also weird to have like a dramatic reveal of a character you've never seen before. Yes. <laughs> oh yes, that's true. Because again, watching it for the first time was like, oh, oh, this must be a bad guy we know. It's like, no. It was the guy with the <laughs> horns. You're like, oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, weird I... stuff. It's, it's, it's going to get worse with Grievous, so. Yes, it will. Yeah. Um, before I, I, I forget, I, sorry, before I get an email about it, apparently his metal album was not nominated for a Grammy. I, I embellished that part, but he did make the uh, album. So, just want, so cool. Yeah. Um, but he is the oldest li- living performer to ever enter the music charts at 91 years old. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> just saying. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, any other Dooku thoughts? Cool lightsaber, dumb name. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Also, is he ever called Darth Tyrannus in the film? It yes, at the, at the very end. Oh, yeah. Because okay. he refers to Palpatine as Darth Sidious. Okay. Yeah, because when he said it, I was like, who's that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um,. All right, any other scenes or things we got to talk about for this shit film? Uh, the very end scene is actually pretty good. Um, when you see the clone army getting a like ticker tape parade on uh, Coruscant, and you're like, "Yeah, we won, we won!" And then they, then Yoda's like, um, "No, not really." And then the Imperial March plays, and you're like, "Oh." Oh, I see what's happening here. Okay. That I liked. Didn't love. Liked. Yeah. But mm-hmm. that's it. I, I mentioned this to you guys that uh, this is where Yoda says the Clone War instead of the Clone Wars, which happens a million times in Star Wars media. They can't decide if it's Clone War or Clone Wars. And I have no idea why that's the case. <laughs> yeah, and that made me feel better because I feel like I frequently get confused about which one it is, and now I know why. <laughs> in In A New Hope... Luke says, you fought in the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. And you'd think that's the first time it's ever been said. Let's just let's just keep it that way. Yeah. And uh, nope. Nope, change all the time. <sighs> Liz, if you yeah. had to give this a, 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 a grade, you're a teacher. Oh, how, yeah. how, how would you grade this film? All right. Am I grading on anything in particular or just overall? I mean... To Overall. me, you, you always have to grade something on what it's trying to accomplish. Mm. And I think on that level, this is a huge failure. Okay. All right. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to give it a D. Mm. Okay. Why did you not fail it? Well, that's a great question. Why did I not fail it? Cuz I feel like failure is strong. I was vaguely entertained by... Hmm, what was I entertained by? I'm not sure I have anything to back this up by. Christopher Lee? Okay. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe because I hated Anakin so much, I was entertained by that. Hmm. I mean, I the sand line does live on. Yeah. That sand, it gets everywhere. 
Uh, I don't know. Maybe I have to give it an F. I can't think no, of anything no, that yeah, really I, interesting. I, I, I wasn't trying to challenge your 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 uh, grade. No, I, was I know. Trying to uh, you know. Yeah, because to... I'm trying to think of anything that I really did like about the movie, and honestly, I I can't think of anything in particular that I liked. So maybe it is a straight up F. Matt, what about you? Um, I'm going to be generous and I'll give it the D. No, well, rephrasing that, um, <laughs> I would grade it a D. I just took a sip of water. I almost <laughs> just because there's there's hints of interesting stuff. There's a lot of really cool new battle droids that are unveiled in the last ten minutes of the film. Um, so there's cool things that happen, but not not anything beyond that. I think, especially grading it from your point of like, what is this movie trying to accomplish? Going into the prequels, we knew what? Three things. Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader. He has twins and the Emperor takes over the Republic. We have seen damn near nothing moving towards those three points, but we've seen a shit ton of other stuff happen including a pod race and C-3PO getting his head ripped off and put onto a battle droid. So again, you, you finish this and you're like, when the hell is the rest of this stuff going to happen? Right. And again, we'll, we'll talk about that next movie too. Cause you watch 95% of the film and you're like, where the hell is the rest yeah. of this going to happen? Yeah. So yeah, it, 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 it does not move the story forward in any significant way. The only thing it does is introduce the clones. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I'd give this a D also for yeah. the reasons you guys have stated. Um, so I asked you a question before we started. I said, watch the movie and tell me how much of it would you not have understood if you didn't see The Phantom Menace? Do you think you would have understood 80% of the film without The Phantom Menace? Easily. Easily. Liz, yeah, do you agree? Yeah, that seems reasonable. Ninety percent, or is that that too high? No, not, I I'd say I, I think watching the first film makes it harder to watch this new film <laughs> because things don't line up or make sense between the two. I think I may have been in a better place watching it, not even seeing the first film. Yeah, I feel like maybe just like maybe who Jar Jar is would be confusing. Maybe that'd be it. I mean, Anakin's grown up now, but that's kind of covered. Yeah, I mean, you hear Qui-Gon's voice say Anakin no in one flashback. And if you don't know who Qui-Gon is, you're wondering who's that voice. Not a flashback, I'm sorry. It's 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 when he's destroying the Tusken Raiders. Um, but, like, other than that, I don't think there's a single thing that you couldn't infer a little bit from this. Yeah. Um, I would say maybe even people that host a podcast and have seen the movie multiple times didn't realize that that was Qui-Gon Jinn. <laughs> oh, <okay>. So. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, really? That's awesome. Um, yeah, so you could, you could go into it. But you, you legitimately can skip the first film. But you might honestly be better watching Phantom Menace than just skipping to A New Hope. So I'm going to ask you guys the same question before we watch Revenge of the Sith. 
and I want to see because I, 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 the more I think about it, the more you kind of only need Revenge of the Sith, and we'll get to that next time. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to leave you with one more Christopher Lee quote or, or factoid, and then we're gonna get going here. Uh, Lee spoke fluent English, Italian, French, Spanish, and German, and was moderately proficient in Swedish, Russian, and Greek. Mm. Whoa! What a guy! Yeah. Damn. I, I wanted us to launch a Christopher Lee fan cast because this is a. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> this guy is the best. Um, so anyway, thank you so much for listening. As always, we're gonna do another one of these for um, for Revenge of the Sith shortly. And then after that, we will wrap up the Clone Wars. And then we're at the Mandalorian already because October 30th, season premiere of the yes. Mandalorian. Yes. So, so excited. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're, getting, we're getting back to that, that new good stuff. And mm-hmm. next year we should have the Bad Batch series and, and who knows what else because COVID-19 probably shut down a lot of stuff that was going on. But we will... <laughs> We'll get more Star Wars. There's plenty of books and, and shows and other things to keep our time occupied. I will promise you guys this. I'm not going to make you watch the Christmas special again. Yeah. Because this year we have a new Christmas special to watch. So What? What? Yeah, they're, they're doing that, that Lego Christmas special. Remember I texted you guys about that? The what Lego Star it? Wars Christmas special? No. That's, okay. Now Liz, you made the... a really, Liz, you made a really good joke about it. Oh man, my memory is woof. You it's because it, it, it Ray somehow meets young Luke in this. Oh, oh yeah, I remember now. And you had said like they just really want those two to be friends, essentially. Yeah. Uh, um, okay, so not 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 Freemaker. It's it's no, just regular Lego Star Wars. Yes, and a bunch of the voice actors are coming back for it as well. Oh man, I'm excited. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we we have good stuff on the horizon, but first, Revenge of the Sith, which I will maintain is by far the best of the prequels, and I'm hoping that by watching these together, you guys will begin to come around to my way of thinking, but who knows, not important. What is I promise to keep an open mind. Okay, I appreciate that, Matt. Um, but what is important is to remember that until next time, the Force will be with you always. Always.